0: so my body wrong in around the Christmas tree, have a happy holiday. Everyone
1: dancing merrily in the new old fashioned way.
2: Yes, sir. A little Brenda Lee rocking around the Christmas tree uh, to get us going this morning here on The Man on Second Podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Forsaro, joined by co-host producer Dave D'Agostino. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to everyone. It's that time of year. I hope everyone's uh, getting their shopping done. Uh, baseball's in that. Winter meetings are in our rearview mirror. But we're going to spend a lot of time today talking with with our really good uh, friend and guest um, Daniel Alvarez from El base Daniel is the uh, uh, not just a rising star, a legit star in sports journalism these days. Venezuelan born, lives down here in South Florida. Uh, all things uh, on Latin players, Venezuelan players, and just baseball in general. Great guy, great guest, and a great fan of. Friend of our show, but before we get to Danny, uh, let's bring in Dave with some announcements.
1: Yeah, I would just want to congratulate our audience. You met my challenge: sixty thousand subscribers by Christmas was the uh, the goal. We hit it yesterday, so appreciate your support. Same thing today: five stars, write some great comments underneath. That'll keep rising, uh, our stock rising in the iPod or iPod world or the podcast world, I should say, (laughs) uh, on iHeartRadio. I got the two mixed up there. Uh, But I I have issued a new challenge to the audience, 61,000 now. My kids laugh. They're like, oh, didn't they know better to reach the goal too early? You're going to raise the bar. So 61,000 now we're asking by Christmas. Um, Coffee's on Joe uh, this month too and all through 2024. Make sure you buy your blackout coffee at checkout. Have Joe F, all capital letters, followed by 20. Coffee's on Joe at 20% off for This holiday season and the entire year of 2024. You must have deep pockets, buddy, to take care of everybody (laughs) that way. And Ted Kubiak's book, our buddy, our very first guest on the podcast, three-time world champion, old school. Great book for your baseball lover. Takes you through the the national pastime through Ted's eyes. And how to field a ground ball, the most comprehensive instructional manual I've seen on how to field a ground ball by nobody better It's very different than what you guys are seeing on YouTube out there, young guys. Thank God. So get those two books at at Christmas time for your baseball lover. And with that, Joe, I'm excited to have our guest back today. I get excited every time he comes on.
2: Yeah, yeah, same here. And one of the reasons I I, uh, decided to go with with Danny this week, and he obviously knows he's got an open invite pretty much any time, but, you know, I want to talk a lot about the state of the media. It, the last week wasn't the most uh, red letter day for, for uh, baseball media with the Shohei Ohtani coverage, but uh, Danny was at the winter meetings. I want to get his feel. I, he's a, a young writer. I'm the retired retire, uh, retired writer, and, and I really kind of want to dive into the role of media, the state of the media, the jump into the gun factor of the media, and uh, so Danny's the perfect guest to, to hear uh, to, to have here today. With that, let's welcome Daniel Alvarez. Danny, thanks so much. Welcome to the show, buddy.
0: Thank you so much, Joe and and Dave. It's always great to be with you guys. Um, missed being 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 here on the on the pod, and and yeah, many things happened last week with the winner meetings, the Juan Soto trade, the Shohei Otani signing, um, and things are still going to happen because we're we're still on the uh, Yoshino Yamamoto uh, watch the possible Dodgers and race trade, uh, watch, you know, so many things that are still going to happen. And, um, I'm sure we, we're going to be discussing this for, for a while until it's time to, to go in spring training.
2: Yeah. then As someone, you know, I always really enjoyed the winter meetings. I always, you know, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I always did very good. I felt, Good work. I took a lot of pride in it. While usually, kind of like, had my focus on the biggest stories and and did my best to get them and represent and to my readers and audience uh, the facts as best as I could. Uh, You were at you were in Nashville. You you were there for the Soto. You know Soto came down. Then Uh, the Otani buzz was there. You know, Shohei wasn't necessarily your top focus, but what did you kind of sense, or someone being in the lobby, seeing how the coverage was there? Because just a refresher to our audience, uh, you know, they kind of jumped the gun, given the indication he could be signing with Toronto, um, and. And this is mainstream, you know, media, and of course that didn't pan out. He wasn't on an airplane headed to, Tor- to Toronto within a day. He was signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, Danny, just kind of take us through from your, you know, from ground zero, what it was like in Nashville um, that you know the week with the Otani buzz and how much could you sense it?
0: Yeah, I, when 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 I first got there, Joe, there was the the impression that Shohei's decision would be imminent uh, while we were there in in Nashville. Uh, when I got there Monday, many people were saying, oh, yeah, the, the Blue Jays are, are finalists to, to Len Shohei. And then we had the the John Moroso report that he was on, on his way to Toronto. And then we saw that he wasn't, as, as you mentioned. And also the Soto trade was um, also in, in, in discussion between the, the Padres and uh, several teams. But obviously the Yankees as the favorites and the ones that ended up having him. And something I, I notice, um, and this is this is pretty common in, in the winter meetings. Obviously, you've covered more than than I than I done. But um, so many people walk in, and so many people trying to, um, I, I wouldn't say hide, but the, the just the attitude and, and the the reaction you see from some uh, writers or other reporters, like hi, trying to to hide the phones or um, speak. Lowly or um, trying to, to to look for someone to to give an answer—it's it's it's something that that you see um, pretty much everywhere. And yes, obviously those were the, the two biggest stories on on during the winter meetings. And obviously there's uh, some something special about uh, having those news first, but also at the same time we we see some things that. Uh, that that might happen, as uh, as you mentioned, you know, jumping the gun, or uh, s- sometimes th- this is not even on, on on the writer a lot of times, or the reporter itself, uh, but just the the agents or front office members playing their game, and that's the risk, uh, you know, when when guys are, are reporting that sometimes they get manipulated by the agent or some executive just because they want to get some other type of information and and those things happen that, like we see it happened last week
2: yeah and, and and you know i like john Morosi a real lot i have a lot of respect me too. for him me too. and and i hate that he has to go through this he obviously is is wearing it he was very stand up um i heard him on a podcast shortly after with um with sean casey and you know he doesn't need me to defend him uh or or anybody, but, you know, it is part of his record now. And, and it, and it's unfortunate and, and you could see how it happens. And, and as people, you know, we're both media people. I just want to kind of explain and, and why this could happen. And you, and you touched on something, you, you can be manipulated. You hear things, you hear from things that I always knew there was a gamemanship going on. And, and I always, even, you know, you always have your layers of, of sourcing you know, the highest source, like the impeccable ones that never really mislead you, you know, you could take that to the bank. And then there are others. that will tell you something. You don't quite believe it, but then they might be right on something that says, OK, well, maybe that person, you know, I could, I could go there, but you still have some doubt. Uh, that's why I always try to get two, at least two sources on, on major stories, oftentimes three or more, you know, just to be rock solid. But the, the winter meetings also were always known as the free-for-all anyway. You know, yeah. a, a lot of ideas, even front office executives, they didn't mind, hey, run with this, see how it goes. You knew you are being played to a, to a degree. So ultimately, the loser becomes the public because the information isn't always acting, You know, <laughs> yeah. you want to be, and, and it's one thing if it's some blogger or some, you know, younger reporter that's trying to make a name for himself. Uh, it's another thing when it's an MLB network employee, uh, you know, a the athletic, let's say, or the established media um, is the one with egg on their face. So just kind of take us through your process. You know, you credibility is really are. It's all we really have at the end of the day. You do How you look at you could say, hey, I always kind of said I'd rather be beaten on a, on a story than burn the source. But, you know, I great. Hey, look, I made my mistakes, too uh, as well. And so, you know, that happens, uh, but yeah, you what's your process? How do you kind of see that? That, role? that,
0: that, that happens a lot. And, and, and that, that's something that, that you told me early on and that I, obviously I, I learned with, with my mom and, you know, d- during the practice, but yeah, for me, like I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather, you know, um, if someone has it on before, the yeah exactly See, if someone has it before I do then that's okay or sometimes I I do have an information that I think could be relevant but if I report on it or or say something about it then I might get the other uh, person in jeopardy because it might be someone within an organization or an agency or the player itself and then there's some type of deal or agreement between the player and the and the organization and that might get him in trouble and and, and that's something that I, I don't really like, and as you mentioned, having more than one source, I think it's important, unless it's someone that it's really close to 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 whatever situation it is. If if it's a trade or um, a signing or a, a roster move or something like that, I'd, I'd rather have more than more than one, two, yes, maybe three, and and then be uh, obviously at the at the same time. I mean, there there's always a risk that something happens. But, at the same time, you have to trust what you're what you 've been building up up to, uh, to that moment right because you, you work hard for for your sources, no matter if it's a an agent an executive a player a coach, or whatever um, because that that can help you a lot but understanding that uh, things like this might have a consequence um, whether it's good or bad because obviously i mean for example in for me personally, when, when I started reporting 2017, 2018, uh, 20, 21 years old, I remember the first news I broke was the Ronald Acuna coming up uh, to the big leagues with with the Braves. And I, if, if you go and see that tweet, you see half or maybe three quarters of the replies where people saying, I don't believe you, who are you? And then ended up being being true uh, because I had someone on, on, on Ronald's end that um, that. Uh, let, let me know about it, and then I even had to confirm with other two people that were close to Ronald to see if it was true, and, and 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 it ended up being being like that. But obviously, I was scared to death whenever I reported that because I was trusting trusting them, but at the same time knowing that there was a maybe a, a small percentage of not of of being inaccurate. And then that would end by credibility, just by, by when, when I was, you know, starting uh, at that moment five, five or six years ago. So yes, the now, now um, after several years covering covering the Marlins and, and, and Venezuelan baseball, as you mentioned, now it's it's even more important to to be sure and to 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 have a, a better relationship and, and, and work with with the sources because now whatever I say. Um, People are going to believe it. And then if it's inaccurate, then my credibility is on the line and it's going to hurt me a lot.
2: Oh, no doubt. It, it is It is harder now in some regards because there's so many people out there. And I always looked at it this way, you know, just for our, to kind of brief our audience, you know, the winter meetings, for instance. Like I said, it's a little bit of a free for all. It's where ideas are tossed out, new ideas. Uh, front office executives that once you had access to them, if you had the credibility, they would they were a little more free with the information because you know they knew first of all the spotlight was on the winter meetings to promote the sport as well. You know, that was a, a great opportunity. I remember having Larry Beinfest when he was the president of baseball ops and Michael Hill. Uh, who followed him when he was president of baseball ops. the Marlins usually were always were active at the winter meeting, sometimes for the wrong reasons because they're fire sailing. <laughs> but um but if they didn't do something, they'd almost apologized to to me and Clark Spencer and, and the other beat writers that were on the team for disappointment because they're like, hey, we you know, they knew your 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 organization spent money to to send you there. You gave your time and they and they also obviously want to improve the team and meet their goals. Um you know, about how they go about doing their business so there was there was the give and take just so our audience knows and not just mm-hmm. media bad and you know oh just a bunch of people looking to snitch and because they they kind of respected we were there and they you know wanted to make a splash when everyone else was that's why I always like the Yankees I always think they do a great job of, of understanding and getting it and and even making a soto trade at the winter meetings
0: yeah you know, e- e- even, uh, though, even though even though was are
2: making moves Yes, I know it's when everyone's kind of leaving, yeah. but still, you know, it, it's still a feather, it's still kind of a check mark that the winter meetings of uh, you know, achieved the goal of at least one big deal. Because you want people to pay attention to your sport, you know, and and that's a great opportunity. Uh, another thing just a uh, little anecdotal stuff. I remember the year when the when the Marlins signed the pitcher Jeff Locke. People might remember him left hander, mm-hmm. used to be with the Pirates. The Marlins got him uh the tail end it didn't it didn't really pan out didn't you know but I had heard early in the day from someone that that they were getting Jeff Lock, you know, that he was going to be like their fifth starter, that type of thing. And but I was waiting. I knew we were gonna get the front office people a little bit later. Uh the other beat writers were there. And I just mentioned it to I think Michael Hill was the was the GM or the president of baseball opposite time. And I just in front of the other writers who weren't aware of this, I said, hey What's the deal with Jeff Locke? I hear you're getting Jeff Jeff Locke. You're signing him, and and let's say it was Michael. He goes, "Yes, you're right. That's where we're doing." And I can see the look on the face of my my competitors. They didn't know. So after we broke that up, now I got clearance to to basically the confirmation I need to send out the tweet. But my my peers there, they were like, "Look, Joe, you." You tweet it, it's your story. We didn't even have it on the radar. It's not up to up fair to us to you know undermine you on your story. So that's just kind of just some inside baseball for our listeners yeah. on how that kind of stuff worked. But I was a veteran reporter around veteran reporters. It was also Jeff Locke. It wasn't the Juan Soto trade, you know. So you know, it's you you measured it by Absolutely. the magnitude of of you know the the story size. In, in and yeah, yeah. how much? So, you know, you had a couple of scoops recently too with the Marlins. You got the um,
0: the um Christian Bethancourt one, yeah,
2: Christian yeah. just the other day, the catcher. And then before that, before the meetings, um, uh, Bruhan Vidal Bruhan with Tampa Bay, correct? Yeah. So, congratulations to you on those. Uh, tell you know, obviously, when you're you're getting to that point of breaking news, how do you kind of before you hit the send button? What are, what are some of the things you're doing?
0: well first of all I, I i hear from from people and that this is something that that you do i mean you build these relationships during the season or and and even during the off season um and and you can do it in so many ways you can be uh close to to a source just by by working uh around it or sometimes even being closer you can you can be, i mean it's it's not bad to to have a friend a a friend as a source right and and for me, with the Bruhan, we were there. I think it was during the the Thanksgiving event that the Marlins do every year, the the Turkey Drive, yeah. and obviously that that was a, the non tender deadline. Yeah, and you knew something was 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 gonna come up because they were about to do some a couple moves, non tendering a couple, of moves, uh, a couple of players that ended up being then they ended up doing that with with Garrett Henson and Jacob Stalling. So um, early in the day, I was. Texting and and calling some people asking me if something was, was going to be possible and then I got confirmation for from someone uh, within the organization that that let me know hey this is what's happening and and you're just allowed to to report on this and and that's how I got it and same with the, with the bed Anchor trade not not exactly on that day but uh, days or, or weeks leading into into that movement and and that's how I ended up um, getting it but before I I hit the, the send button I have to. To, to check real quick information on the player and then the organization or, or uh, how this move is going to impact the roster because sometimes you can report on a, on a signing or on a trade and you see that the 40-man roster is full. So that then that's going to lead up to a player, another player getting traded or being a fade or being an outrider or something like that so i always try to make make sure that i got the information correctly and sometimes by doing that i get beat on the um, on the initial information and but once i see re- the the report coming out if i'm able to check on the information then i'm able to add on something more that it's going to be valuable and it's going to make the the report let's say more uh complete so um that that's that's the way i do it and uh, with your winter meetings uh, anecdote that you you just said, something similar happened to me uh, this winter meetings. I had an information on, on something, um, then it got confirmed by someone in the organization, and then another reported uh, <laughs> send the send the tweet, and I was like, hey, but you know, this was mine at the beginning, but um, I I wasn't too worried about it. Obviously, these things happen, especially when you're uh, dealing with Younger reporters, reporters that don't have that type of type of experience, and and I said it's okay because uh, there are other news that are going to come up during the off season that might be even more important than that. So, I I don't really get too worried about it. Um, for me, it's more of what you just you said. I mean, uh, getting information that that no one is getting, and and building a, a relationship that no one is having.
2: Yeah, let, let's get. Dave, jump in. Obviously, we we saw what happened with Otani and anything that sours the industry creates doubt with, with listeners and viewers and readers. So, you know, kind of your thoughts. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, there's so much in today's world, whether it's sports or otherwise, there's so much misinformation, disinformation. And part of it's because as regular people, not professional writers and reporters like you two, Everybody has access now in terms of <laughs> there's no filter. You can just put whatever you want out there. Um, the, the question I have: So you got a guy like uh, like Morosi, and you know I watch his stuff as well. I like what he says. What's the psychology behind somebody like that who's reputable doesn't have to take the chance, taking that risk uh, and, and going against the tenants that you you described? And I guess kind of a part two. I don't know. I don't want to answer the question um, with my with a question, but um, is it, is it possibly the bosses, and that, not about your boss, I don't want any you guys talking talk about your bosses because this is a general term. Well, I guess, do they emphasize speed over maybe being complete, like you said, Danny, that you wanted your article to be more
0: complete, you could add to it? It's, I mean, the, the thing is that the, the Otani story, I think it's been one of the most followed stories uh, in, in recent years in, in baseball. And, and obviously, there's some, it, I mean, to, to, to whoever, I mean, I, I I mean, I remember last year with with Aaron Judge, it was it was basically the same thing, and I remember John Heyman tweeting that, "Oh, Aaron Judge appears to be heading to San Francisco," and and <laughs> by the way, he had the typo that uh, yeah, he called Arson. him Arison <laughs> instead of Aaron, and that ended up being uh, an a national meme to to everyone, and guess what? The next morning, around four in the morning. John Morosi ended up breaking the news that he was signing with the Yankees and he was absolutely right. So uh, at the, at the time, John was the 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 only reporter that 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 got it right, the, the one that got it first in, in the beginning and that um obviously <laughs> gave him a lot of of credibility, not that he needed that because he 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 already had it. I mean, the year before he broke the the, the Freddie Freeman news to the Dodgers, for example, step-by-step step, what was happening uh, leading up to that negotiation. But um, obviously it, it was big for whoever had the, the scoop. But at the same time, um, we, we ended up learning how private Shohei was trying to, to keep um, th- those meetings and those negotiations. So obviously someone... Um, played uh, with that. And I, and, I, and I really feel it for, for John because I understand it was something important. It was important uh, for any reporter to, to break that one. But uh, at the same time, I don't know if it was either the agency or um, the organization, if it was the Blue Jays or the Dodgers or the Angels or CAA, I don't know. Someone obviously understood that uh, on, on the reporter's behalf and, and played with it.
2: Yeah. I, I Danny explained that very well. And I do, I think, you know, not, not speaking with John on this or anything, but I, you know, and he'll wear it. And like you say, it's his fault. Mm-hmm. And as the reporter, it's ultimately your fault because you choose to, to hit the send button and you believe that person. But I agree. I think he got the information and believed it to be right by somebody that that played him. You know, they, they, they used him and, and that, and I don't think he should, yes, you 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 take the public hit, but at least, you know, from what I understand, what he said, MLB Network is very supportive of him. He's back on the saddle doing what he does. Yeah. People are doing their wisecrack remarks on his comments and everything he reports. But at least they kind of got it and why it why it happens. And when you're dealing in real time, which is what the reporters are dealing with, there's a challenge. Yes, there's you know, I think it's and, and it's funny because Ken Rosenthal wrote a story or said it on a, on a podcast. Bob Nightingale wrote something in USA Today. Both, I thought, were, were must. I believe it was Rosenthal with a podcast. I'd recommend everyone listen to that. And and um, uh, Nightingale wrote a really good piece and, and looked at himself in the mirror, too, and acknowledged what, what he's gotten wrong about. We need to kind of take a deep breath and cuz we're we're so antsy and like Danny's saying cuz i know what that is everyone's hush hush everyone's hiding behind a, a pillar in the hotel or hiding behind the christmas tree trying to get that source or you know texting out something or you know whispering on their phone and running off here just and then when you see someone like like Heyman or Rosenthal or passing running with urgency in the lobby it makes you think something big's happening you know <laughs> you know if you're observing that uh but I, that Dave, I think that's what it is. You know, he he got bad info, bad intel by someone who was, for whatever reason, wanting it to be out that Toronto was a serious player. Maybe it's a last second trying to leverage the Dodgers for a little bit more. That stuff happens, but you do get you have to realize you do get played.
1: Yeah. I was gonna this just may be an over. It's probably very naive because I I don't know your world. I know it from the other side as a coach, and I I always had as, as a head college coach I. I Took great pride in my relationship with my writer, the the beat writer who was on me all day long, to the point where I would leave. He he at first he thought it was I was messing with him. I would leave things on my board um, that I wasn't allowed to comment on, like recruiting, because uh, we can't comment on recruits. And whatnot. I leave them on the board for him, and he would ask questions like, "Why are the chairs situated this way today?" When we talk, I just shrug at him. I don't know. And then he would eventually figure out on the board there was information on the board that he probably wanted to have in his story, positive stuff. Um, I took great pride in helping him, not duping him. Why? I mean, am I too naive to think is this gamesmanship among reporters? Why, you, why would people dupe? You, for another? one,
2: okay, let's say for CAA, for instance, um, you have many, many people working for them. <laughs> you know, so it could be yeah. anybody. It won't be the top guy because they don't want to nix the deal. They don't, you know, they don't see any benefit there. Uh, you, you could have another team running the smokescreen. You could have, and you know, within your own organization. You get conflicting reports. I, you know, there was a time with with the Marlins where there was completely two, three different camps. This is under the old re- ownership under Jeffrey Loria. If you talk to somebody, they might be in one camp of people, and they had one view that was a one eighty from someone in the other. So I, you know, I was aware of that. So I as I could see why people, you know, would would write something or tweet something or, or say something. Uh, and then, and I knew the other side of the story and knew that was either half truth or, you know, or, you know, completely wrong. <laughs> because a lot of times, OK, at the winter meetings, you could be looking at, you know, OK, you could say, hey, we're looking for a, a left handed hitting outfielder. OK, so, you know, on the free agent board, you already knew three free agent outfielders there. You got three either agents or wanting to get their guy either leveraged the Marlins to get a deal elsewhere or wanting the deal to get done in Miami. And and then you got two other guys are doing the same game. So depends on who you're talking to, you know, and, and let's face it. And Danny could attest to this too. There are a lot of people at the winter meetings that walk around, acting like they're more important than they really are. Because it's just human ego and they want to say they know something.
1: Yeah, they want to be in the know. I, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Gotcha. It's kind of life, you know. <laughs> there, you know, you see it in, in coaches. There are those who who probably brag more than they, you know. You didn't really come up with this strategy. The, the this guy did. You know, what are you, are you taking credit for that that play you ran? That you had no, you know. <laughs> it's like you know, you see that stuff all the time. But that's what I wanted for this podcast because you know we always have guests that that are in cover all aspects. We have scouts. We have you know, players, ex-players, and, and that's why I want to get media voice out there. That's my my lane. So I do want yeah. to illuminate so our audience kind of gets a little bit better feel. I'll give you an example, especially when you're dealing with an international player, especially a Japanese player, uh, and because they, they always have – there's a lot of media that follows that player. When Ichiro, play, you know, played with the Marlins, and I know probably some people out there are probably a good part of the audience – didn't even know Ichiro played for the Marlins for several years. Well, he came in and, and he had a series of one-year deals with a with an option to to stay, either team or player or mutual, whatever. Um, and they finished up the one-year. Danny might even remember this when Ichiro pitched. Remember? I heard Ichiro in got in to 20, pitch in the last 20, game of the year at in Philly. 2015, yeah. Yeah, okay, 2015's the year. Well, the Japanese media, a lot of them – weren't at liberty to like break news on Ichiro like that. So I hear from one of the Japanese media people, they're like, hey, just so you know, Ichiro's back. He's coming back. And they said, so I knew not I couldn't ask Ichiro that right then and there. You just didn't Ichiro you handled differently. Um you know he's like talking to a king, you know, and so you talk to him about pitching and I remember I had to do a sidebar on that and, and was told at the winter meetings, he goes, that story didn't necessarily break the internet, but it came close. Um, you know, it was, it got, the numbers were just out the roof, you know, and, but what I did was, so not to burn the source, <laughs> which is obviously someone, and they had like 30 people that covered from each row, uh, I mentioned to like the Marlins executives, top executives, and I see one of them. I'm like, hey, look, I'm hearing each row's back. And they go, Joe, you're right, but please do not write it right now. But I promise you, you'll have the scoop. So about two or three days after the season, um, I get the call in the morning. Hey, at about two o'clock, we have a press conference, Itro, but feel free, you could get it out right now. And that was like nine in the morning. So that that's kind of how that one happened. Correct. And again, Itro is a big name. It was a, it was a story that he carried a lot of interest, but that's how that I got that scoop that one year. Um, you know, that that type of relationship happens because there's trust and there's, hey, you got the story, you're, you know, if you could do us a favor, we'll reward you at the end of the day. And and that's what happened perfectly there. I wasn't, you know, undermined at somebody else. But hey, I could tell you this for about three days, that's all I thought about until I was able to get the scoop. And Danny knows that feeling too. Mm. It's no. like you're like, I'm trusting them. They could burn me but I'm trusting them. So that cuts both ways too. So let's say I did get burned on that. Well as a reporter, I'm going to be a little less trusting of the organization which could reflect in how I you know write stories and in Iraq as I you know Danny has people too yeah you, you know a lot of people in the, in the industry and again it's credibility. If you have the credibility of manipulating lying to the media, that gets out on your character as well. So, you know, it, it is it is the fascinating inner workings of the sport.
0: Yeah, and, and, and sometimes it, it can happen that, um, for example, this is a, a personal an- anecdote. Last year, Joe, in, I think it was, yeah, February of 20, uh, 2022, I got the news on on a team from Venezuela, the team I root for, by the way, Tiburones de la Guayra, that they were getting sold and and. I got, I got the, the news from, um, the owner of the bank, of which they were, uh, you know, sending all the money to, to buy the team. And he goes to me like, Hey, Danny, this is happening. And, and I go, Hey, uh, are you hundred percent, hundred percent sure that this is happening? And, and I, I had a, a long conversation at the end of the day. He ended up telling me important, uh, news that, that, that made it, um, you know, ma- made me believe that that he was that he was right, and I ended up throwing that out, knowing that the team or their PR department they were going to to say no, this is not happening, this this is not true, um, and it ended up being exactly like that. I sent uh, the tweet saying I'm getting information that Tiburones de La Guaira is being sold, um, and there should be an announce an announcement within weeks. May, uh, possibly months. What happened later was that I think three, about three or two hours later, uh, the team ended up saying, no, we're not selling the team. This is not happening. Whoever wants to buy the team, I'd rather recommend it to buy season tickets. That th- Those were the words from the the president of the team at the time. Two months later, I, <laughs> I'm face-to-face with, <clears throat> with the president of the team here in Miami at, at Lone Depot, and he goes to me like, I don't know how the hell you got it. You're absolutely right. But this is something that can't come out yet because you know who's buying it. it obviously, it was someone from, from the government or related to a government. And he said, there's no way we can announce this right now because it's going to screw the whole league. Uh, because at the time, two teams were still sanctioned by the U.S. government and MLB. And they said, this is why we cannot uh, say anything. And by the way, I didn't know this was happening. Uh, I learned from you that the team was being sold. The owner never told me anything. And I'm like, but you're a half owner. And he's like, yeah, but just one half. The other one uh, was the one being sold. I'm like, you know, that's not true. I mean, you're selling the whole team, not just one half. Uh, but anyway, then they kept saying, no, P- publicly they kept saying, no, no, this is not happening. This is not happening. In October, I th- when, when the season started, they say, no, we're not selling the team. Uh, everything's fine. I think within three weeks, the same guy ended up saying, uh, telling the media, hey, we have an agreement for for the team uh, and we're selling the team. And I remember that for not even days, for months, Joe, every single tweet I, I sent, people were like, No, this is not true because you said that Tiburones was being sold and and and, and the team I mean they they still have the same owners and I'm like, No, the team's being sold, like I'm 100 percent sure. And that put my obviously my credibility online for, yep. for for months. Then when it happened, I remember uh some people apologizing like hey no you were right and i'm like yes i know i was right the thing is that it was such a complex situation um because of what i just explained with the with the government and who was buying the team and then the the you know all, all the process um was very complicated and like knowing now what happened that the team ended up being sold and and uh, the, the owner goes out publicly all the time I don't feel bad about it but during those months I said you know what maybe uh, and this is a lesson for everybody maybe I should have not tweeted anything because uh, that caused a lot of a lot of noise uh, for months because it was a, a very complex situation and and I don't think I I mean months later obviously uh, people found out that that I was right but I I, I think that, uh, like, in, during those months, I, I didn't think it was, uh, you know, worthy of, of reporting uh, because it, it ended up being such a... Uh, yeah, it's a sensitive such story. Such a yeah, yeah. It,
2: there's a sen- it's a sensitive story that affects a lot of different moving parts. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. You were too close to the sun, you know, and that that's what, what happens on these stories that, you know, the bigger the story, the, the bigger the scoop, the closer you are to it. You know, sometimes you get that info way ahead. You know, I, I'll give an example. Um, yeah, I had to just double check it was Soler, but when Soler signed with the Cubs, like when he was coming out, of, um, as an international signing, I had that, and and I think Theo Epstein was still in Chicago. He yep. was like telling their media, "No, that was wrong." That was wrong. But I had it. And it was funny because people were saying I was wrong. And I was like two months ahead of everyone. And and they weren't ready because he couldn't confirm it because the signing, the international signing period hadn't started yet. The date, but literally when it, the day happened, they signed him. And it was so funny because on Twitter, you know, I was getting beaten up by the Chicago media. And, and Theo said it. and He's on the record. Wrong, 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 wrong. And one guy and I said, "Well, you're going to bet?" He goes, "No." He said, "I know you're the only one I had it right." And that guy for years would like, "Joe, what else do you know?" Because he didn't believe their writers because because of the the Solaire situation. <laughs> yeah. But, You know, you you know the international market. You know there were X number of teams in on him, and one of the teams that didn't get him let me know that he was going to the Cubs. So, yeah and I and the thing is I had the, you know they're ironclad sources that are never are wrong. I'll give you another example the year of uh, when the Marlins hired Mike Redman as manager and oh, yeah. and I was out you know kind of early on saying that he was a candidate but I also had heard they were really wanting Mike Lowell, and and Mike Lowell went on like the Dan Levitard show and said, oh well Joe's saying and you're going and he's like, oh we all love Joe, but that's not true and that's not true. And they hire Mike Redmond, who great friends with Mike Lowell. Spring training comes along. Mike Lowell is is one of the guests. I see him in the hotel there, and he goes. He tells me everything about when he interviewed for the Marlins manager, <laughs> or with you know that whole process how he is in you know a candidate for there. Because publicly he wasn't going to say I was right, but privately he. Confirmed, yeah, he, but meanwhile he, he, you know you he, yeah. you sit around and, you, and you're you're dealing with stuff and that you know that's just kind of uh, this kind of how the games played you know it's, and and
0: and yeah and and now like I see it all the time with the with the international market as, as you mentioned uh, guys that are back in the day were signing in on on July 2nd now it's uh January 15th those agreements are made way before yeah like way way before even not even months years before. Um, uh, but that that's a, that's a topic for for January or, or another uh, podcast because sometimes it's it's or not sometimes basically all the time it's it's really sketchy with the teams and the, and the verbal agreements with the players. Uh, but yeah, it happens months beforehand. But they're just not allowed to to say anything publicly until right after the the signing. But it's not that they found the player on January 15th, all of a sudden. Oh yeah, we're signing this this guy. No, they they were looking at him for. Yeah. for months and and they, they got those agreements months or years before
2: yeah our friend Jesse Sanchez always has you know a good you know number of those that that's why you so he is so valuable at mlb.com he would just signing day would come and Jesse would rifle out like of the top 30 you know 15 right away here they are here's the bonus you know because <laughs>
0: yeah. they
2: because they already knew well well in advance dave any more thoughts on this
1: yeah, well, there's a story that's out there. And I, I, again, you guys could tell me if it's a story or not, but I haven't seen anybody approach it. And I guess two questions. One, maybe why, and, and maybe because it's not a real story, but with the signing of Otani, we all saw the contract that came out where he's making $2 million for eight or nine years, and then he's making $64 million for... That is that is a salary cap uh, sidestep if I've ever seen one, and it kills the low-market clubs. Um with a story like that, is there is is there a reason why people wouldn't go attack the the, the I guess the big strong Dodgers like that because they're they're crushing the low mark because that money should go back and as as the rule states, low market clubs for their uh, you know that seven hundred million dollar contract. Danny, is that is it? that a story or is no, that, that
2: no? I, I and I have some strong thoughts on this. Danny, you want to go first, or you could you uh, uh, no,
0: I, I you you can go first.
2: Okay. Um, David Sampson, who used to be the Marlins team president, who has he works for CBS, and and I think he does stuff with Dan Levitard's, uh, um, uh, Metal Metalark channel as well. My, my had, guilty
0: my guilty pleasure is to listen to his podcast. Yeah, he That's had an <laughs>
2: incredibly good podcast on on the Otani deferral aspect of it, Dave, and and I haven't seen anyone even come close to explaining it. OK, so it is it's it's essentially it's, it's a 10 year, seven hundred million dollar contract with two million a year for the first 10 years. Then there's since in this new CBA, there's no limit on deferrals. They are deferring you know, basically 97 percent of it or 68 million a year for 10 more years. So six hundred eighty million of the 700 million are coming in years 11 through 20. Okay, so there's how is this not you know circumventing the salary cap or the, the luxury tax, I should say, because there's no salary cap. Um, and how is AAV is about 46, 47 million instead of 70 million is complicated math how they got that number. But what David noted, and, and I'm in agreement, I think that this, completely competitive balance. I don't want to hear the league talk about competitive balance when you just tilted it. And the other thing I don't want to hear people say anyone could do this, because David Sampson noted something. He said every year he said the the owners of the Dodgers, uh what the Guggenheim, uh what's his name? Um um, mark what, what what's his the, the guy who's the the owner he works for that like Guggen, Guggenheim whatever oh yeah yeah, someday, yeah. yeah. that that basically has like 295 billion dollars in assets so what david said is you basically at the end of every year you have to show proof that you have 900 excuse me 680 million dollars that you can pay otani so they basically take a, a screenshot of any day that they have that in their in their coffers to show proof of that, and then they can take that money right out of the account they put it in and reinvest it all over the place. Well, there aren't there aren't. I think the Dodgers might be the only ones. I don't even know if the Yankees could afford to do that to basically do that every year. And on top of that, they deferred a good bit of of. Um, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts' contracts. Absolutely. So they are completely playing on a different playing field. Um, it would be interesting if Steve Cohen had done that. What the reaction would be, and and I don't see how anyone could say that doesn't circumvent you know the the salary uh, structure, the the revenue sharing, and and the. The luxury tax. I, you know, I like I said. I recommend listening to David Samson's account of that because he really does. Now, what happens though? Dave, answer to your question. The the media that's covering that has CAA sources are not going to criticize that.
0: Absolutely and, not.
2: And those who have the high ranking sources of the Dodgers aren't going to criticize it either, because the league and the and the union like it. So, but you're absolutely right. You know, like the Marlins, the Rays. I mean, the Rays are the Rays are going to have to trade Tyler Glass now to the Dodgers because they can't afford $25 million. And they're about to trade Randy Rosarina as well. You know, and, you know, it's like this is – the playing field is not even remotely level. And and I'm not – hey, I'm a capitalist and all. But I am not sitting around and saying that – you know all the people, and I've heard like Dan Patrick's of the world, and Dan I have a lot of respect for too. Not everyone can do that move, and and no, really absolutely, absolutely. Oh, maybe Cohen and the Dodgers can do that. Move. I'm not even and sure the Yankees could do that
0: move. We we see that there are owners <clears throat> that their net worth is just what a tan is going to make uh, with the Dodgers, and uh, I mean obviously he's with with the tax and everything. He's not getting every dollar of the of the seven hundred mil, but. You, you, I mean, you, you get the point, right? But at the same time, I, I, I think, we, and and I think this is a discussion for for another episode. But is it really that not every not every owner can do something like signing Glasnow, for example? Like, um, is it is it really that they ha- that they need to trade him now because there's no way they can pay it, or they're just not at least with that player? Um, willing to go a little bit over and say, you know, we want you long-term to stay here. Here's, I don't know, whatever, hundred. Danny, the reason million. why that the, the, the Rays do what they do and
2: they sign a lot of the players they have, and they'll get glass now with a Tommy John surgery and sign them then, you know, and, and they do that effectively is to create club friendly deals to trade. They could pay him. Yeah. But they choose to, that's when his value is the highest. Yeah. So that's why the Rays do this, and you know it, it's like the Marlins are going to be looking at that with Sandy Alcantara. You know that mm-hmm. is a highly affordable. That, that's a, yeah. That's a that and, really. And if they're if the Marlins are in a rebuild window, they won't say it. They seem to be in one. uh, and because their, their farm system isn't you know on paper yes they had you know they caught lightning in a bottle got to the playoffs and such and they're saying the right things because you want to sell tickets and and build off a playoff season but you know with with Sandy gone and and a lot of uncertainty with their rotation even though they have some good arms uh you know they're probably in a position to have to move these players to get the farm system to where it needs to be to you know, give them the ability to compete. Yeah. So what the Dodgers have done is this is what, to me, it's not even the 700 million. It's that they've been afforded. Okay. Even if it's 46 million on their luxury tax, Shohei's making 2 million on that. So they have that money to add the Yamamoto's, to add the glass nows, mm-hmm. to add whoever else they, they want. And what's going to happen I want to win a World Series and play with Shohei. Of course, he, he, it just gravitates to you there. So I think it does. In, in, to your question, Dave, you know, it's like the Marlins of the world, the the Pirates of the world, kind of have to live with. We're going to be young, scrappy, maybe lock up if we're fortunate to. If you're like the Diamondbacks, you're fortunate enough to have a Corbin Carroll that you drafted and we're able to sign for a hundred million for seven or so years. Um, then you're you're lucky enough to have at least a building block. But otherwise you're going to have to be a lot shrewder in how you spend your money. And, and the fan bases have to be a lot less accustomed to be attached to players because those players are going to be moved.
0: Yeah. There's just a small window. I mean, for at, at least that's how, how I see it with, with guys, with teams, like you mentioned the pirates, their race are different because they're still producing young talent on their, on, on, to the, on their farm system or, uh, finding hidden gems in, in other teams when they trade for it. I mean, the Isaac Paredes trade, for example, is is mm-hmm. one of the best ones that we, we've seen in recent years because Austin Meadows wasn't was an all star, was, an all-star, was a, uh, a a guy who was a, a legit contender every year for Silver Slugger and stuff like that, and he hasn't played at all for the Tigers, and Paredes has been one of the. Um, they're a great was, trade well, high team. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're a great trade yeah. high team, but that's exactly. hard, to, but, it's hard yeah. to do. But yeah. for teams like the A's, for example, who are uh, on another situation, on a different situation, the the, win, the the window is so small. And we've seen it with the Marlins too. I mean, when when now, I mean, yes, they, they went to the playoffs uh, two times in four years, but now it seems like it's another rebuilding process that's, that's going to come up soon because of what you're saying. And and it's it's something that small market small market teams sadly have to deal with.
2: Yeah, Dave, how do you think that's going? Because that to me, Otani. Let, let's make this very clear, because we hear people when the Otani signing happened, good for baseball. Okay, Shohei Otani clearly is good for baseball. Shohei Otani, the person, the the marketing, uh, the international brand, might be the greatest player of all time when you factor just how great a pitcher mm-hmm. and hitter he is, he, and essentially, even if he's nothing more than a DH closer, still can be an MVP and uh, maybe not the Cy Young winner, but he could be the fireman of the year winner. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he is a unique animal. He also can take 2 million a year because he's in endorsements making anywhere from 40 to 50 million off the field. So, He's put himself for 10 years. The endorsements are going to pay what would be a salary. And then when he's ready to retire, he's going to make 68 million for 10 more years. You know? So, so he is in a very unique position, but his, this contract is not good for baseball.
1: No, no. And I, I, I'm all for everybody getting what they're worth. and, I agree. Anytime Otani's on, I'll watch and he'll be on much more now that he's with the Dodgers and he wants to win. We saw that in the World Baseball Classic. So his salary, that structure for him was to create more better players around him. But yeah, for the the way these small market teams have to scrap for players, I just don't like how everybody's accepted. And by everybody, I mean, Major League Baseball front office has accepted that that has to be their lot in life. And don't you dare challenge, you know, the, the, uh, the letter of the law here. I, these, how these teams exist is beyond me. Like you mentioned Tampa. I love how they operate. I think you're right. They make great, they trade high. Um, they are great at developing prospects and they there's the engine that could, but they're always one or two injuries away from being uh, the A's, I guess.
2: Well, and, I think uh, they're there with the Wanda yeah. Franco suspension and the Shane McClanahan, Tommy John surgery. Yeah. That's why Glass now is being moved. Cause this yeah. isn't, this could be a down year for them, you know, yeah. uh, that, that's, that's exactly right. You know? And, and so you're, you know, now if we want to talk to media responsibility, if you're covering the Marlins on that, you just kind of have to be mindful and do the best you can. Cause the team isn't going to say, Oh, we're rebuilding or we're doing this that, and the other thing, uh, because they want to sell tickets, but you kind of have to say, look, this is where you are. These are your scenarios. It's uh, these are your paths. And if you're, you could either spend a lot on free agents to cover mistakes or have a deep farm system or have a young nucleus. That's why the word sustainable success. I know Jeter, when he came in, said it, that everyone says it. I don't think sustainable success is outside of the raise, the lower revenue things. I think you're a window markets. And I think you, you're kind of serving your market better as a fan base to say, at least we're understanding. At least they're being transparent. Yes, if you catch lightning in a bottle and you overperform, then you have the great, the great storylines. But to just say, oh, sustainable success, well, you don't have a deep farm system and you don't have a payroll. So you need everyone to play way above themselves. That, you know, that's a lot of pressure on players. And, you know, to do and that's usually when the players get hurt is trying to do too much. You know, oh, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta play harder, I gotta, you know do all these things, you know, to, to try to, instead of you're a lot more relaxed. I put it this way. Freddie Freeman's a lot more relaxed hitting, knowing that Shohei's hitting third. Oh yeah. You know, then, then if Shohei and, and Mookie are both, let's say both are on the IL. Uh, and I'm not wishing that, but let's say they both are on the IL and they're struggling offensively. Well, Freddie's now he better come through more often than not. Cause he's the guy, you know? Uh, but yeah, so it, it's, it's a unique cycle. And, um uh, Glad you brought that up, Dave. I did kind of want to get some Otani stuff off my chest. So,
0: I, I I think that, um, and obviously, again, this is this is one more complicated. But for another episode, it's gonna have some repercussion for the, the next CBA discussion for sure. Something's gonna happen when whenever they they have to. To, to bring that up again, I think it's twenty twenty seven. Uh, if I'm yeah. if I'm not mistaken, uh, you can't not to interrupt yeah.
2: you. You can't have ninety seven percent of a contract be deferred. That's no. just ridiculous. No, yeah, and 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 then and pretend that you're talking about competitive balance.
0: Yeah, because exactly. you're not. So, you're yeah, not. You gave that, that. you
2: gave the and then next time the Diamondbacks are when I'm using them as an example, not just because my boy works there. When they make the World Series don't sit around and dump on them saying they weren't deserving and oh, they yeah. should play 43 extra and, wild card games and, 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 and the regular yeah. season's meaningless because you've already slanted the field for the biggest markets anyway now you want to when they finally beat you say that they're still not deserving
0: yeah and and for their um audience and whatever they that i mean because i i hate listening and even to baseball people that a Rangers Diamondbacks World Series wasn't good for baseball. I hated listening to that every single day of the World, of the World Series. Because if you're in baseball and you have those two teams that, that, that were too great and, I mean, great stories, you have to promote that. I mean, you, you just cannot uh, hate on it and, and, and say, no, this is not good because of what happened to the Dodgers or the Orioles or whoever that... A big market team that got eliminated um, because they did what they they had to do, and 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 you're just hurting your your own product, and and that's something that, as you mentioned, Joe, I don't I don't want to hear uh, coming up next year, whenever a team like like the Diamondbacks or some wildcard team beats someone and gets to the World Series, because that that's going to happen. Because in baseball, we we've seen that you just cannot buy championships. Well, Danny, let me ask you this, and and Dave as well. When do you ever hear the NFL
2: say that? When do you ever, ever hear Never. the NFL go, Never. Oh, it's really bad that the Indianapolis Colts are in the in the Super Bowl. No, Peyton Manning was on the Colts. Like in in yeah. if if Peyton Manning played baseball, he would have to play in LA or New York.
0: Exactly. And, and and that's and that's that's the other thing. When people, oh, don't have big names. you get I mean, Corbin Carroll had one of the most exciting seasons for a player ever. Ever. Um Corey Seager is a superstar, a legit superstar, and and he's shown that year year in and year out. Same with that Same with Corey Seager. So, for people who were saying that, that that really uh, pissed me off a lot. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you got us going, Dave. You got us all fired up. Uh- <laughs>
0: you know who's got We uh, actually, we, I brought it up.
1: Uh, Jim Cott brought it up to me yesterday on our podcast, Cot's Corner, and he and I got going on it for about thirty minutes. Uh, yeah, it's it's. You know, the NFL gets exactly what they designed it to get, and that's parity. They say it. They get it. It's the truth. Uh, You know, teams even out, level out. And uh, the MLB does not. I thought it was great, the World Series, because it was two different ways to go from 100 losses to the World Series in a hurry. Both teams had 100 losses
2: at the same time. Yeah.
1: And they found they both found different ways to get there. And to me, from a baseball standpoint, great, exciting. You got to see guys like Corbin Carroll, Corey Seeger finally, you know, coming into his own. Um so from a baseball standpoint, I thought it was great. From an economic standpoint, all those people that are into numbers, that that, that, that was that had to be like their Thanksgiving right there. That was all about um, you know, analytics and financial models and whatnot. that, that had to be everybody's heaven, but Major League Baseball did not celebrate it as it should have.
2: No, and and at the end of the day, because the, the the shares, the full shares that go to the clubs, uh, when that was released, the the full shares for the Rangers was like five hundred five thousand dollars per player, mm-hmm. and for the Diamondbacks was like three hundred thirty three thousand dollars, and then even getting down to the Marlins in a, in a, only played two games in that series, each of their players got like ten thousand no. dollars, so. There certainly money was being made. Yeah. Money was certainly being made.
0: <laughs> money, money that for, for yeah. a lot of people, I mean, that's life changing money yeah. for, for players. I mean, a guy like Jose Herrera that made, may, maybe those, five hundred k a year just ended up having that money for just being in the roster, uh, and that's that's something that helps a lot. Or for for people like the translators, for example, the interpreters uh, that are not part of the roster for many of the, for many of those teams, those are people that are 24 seven with the team and are as valuable as a coach or as a front office member. And they, they also give them full share of that uh, revenue.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, we'll end, we'll end on that note. Uh, You know, Obviously, uh, a lot to talk about. We'll we'll do more of these these type of uh, podcasts where I talk a little bit more media and our you know personal anecdotal stuff uh, as well as we move the podcast forward. But uh, Dave, any last things for for Danny and before we get out of here?
1: No, first I enjoyed this one. I like the the approach, the angle that we took today. I, I would love to do a lot more from my end standpoint. I I was uh, captivated both as 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 a producer and a co host and uh, an audience member all at one time. So. I enjoyed this one. I think our audience is going to get a great 60,000. It's going to get a great uh, show today.
2: Yeah, and, and that's that's the beauty of what we do here. You know, we are, we're real voices of the game, and we cover all of them. Um, uh, Dave, final announcements.
1: Yeah, 60,000. You guys did it before Christmas. Let's see if we can get to 61 now uh, within the next week. I think you guys can do it. You know what to do. Um, five stars, write great comments. Blackout coffee, coffee's on Joe this month, and all next year, <laughs> Joe F., all capital letters with the number 20 after it gets you 20% at checkout. And then Ted Kubiak's book, I'll put it in the show notes Old School and How to Feel the Ground Ball. I recommend it for everybody's baseball bookshelf and a great stocking
2: stuffer. Uh, before we get out, uh, Danny, how can everyone reach you?
0: Oh, yeah, on, on Twitter at Daniel Alvarez, EE. EE stands for El Extra Base. And that's also a platform where you can, can, can reach to us on Twitter, uh, well, X Now, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. By the way, we have on our YouTube channel. Uh, it's getting close to uh, 100,000 views. The um, home run, the Venezuelan home run derby that had Ronald Acuna, Francisco Alvarez, Jassil uh, Puig, um, had Miggy Cabrera. It's there in, on our YouTube channel, if you're looking for some baseball to watch during this offseason, uh, I certainly recommend it to go on, and, and check that out because it was really an exciting, an exciting um, competition, and I'm not going to – I mean, if you haven't seen who won, I'm not going to spoil spoil you that, but it was a really good show, so I invite everyone to subscribe and check that out. Oh, appreciate that. Check
2: out Danny Alvarez's work. Uh, it's among the best. You can see why I call him the future. Uh, David, that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna send us out of here. Yeah, it'd be great. Okay. All right. Thanks to our audience. Thanks for everyone tuning in. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Danny. Um, everyone. Great holidays. Uh, well, I guess Dave will have some uh, announcements on how we're gonna handle the the Christmas the Christmas break, but he'll give you all that. But until then, Joe Forcero, man on second and we are out of here.
1: Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is
2: so. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I've brought me